Well, we're going to continue in our series this morning, so let me pray for the blessing of God's Word, and we will dive right in. So, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness this morning. The worship, the prayer, the fellowship, the declarations, the healing, the confirmation that you've already done this morning. But now as we open up the Word of God, we pray that your truth would permeate every heart here in this room today. And as we have declared that soon we will see the king, today as we talk about your kingdom, help us, Father, to be on your side, your page, your agenda, your will. Help us and speak a word of encouragement to our hearts here this morning. Strengthen us and go before us, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Uh, Several years ago, I was able to go on another missions trip, been in many in Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and other places. But where I was from in San Diego, we were only 50 miles away from Tijuana, Mexico, I remember that a a Spanish worship leader, a good friend of mine, Diane, he's a man, but his name is Diane, it's spelled differently in Spanish, and he would put on these open-air concerts where he would pray for the sick and lead people to the Lord, they would pass out articles of clothing, they would make a meal for thousands of people, and I kept hearing the reports, and I wanted to see it for myself, and so one year I went with them, couldn't speak Spanish that well, but I said, I can set things up, I can put chairs in a row, I can cook some burgers, I can do whatever you need me to do, I just want to be a part of that. And so we went, and uh, probably about two or 3,000 people would show up to this event, just a big open dirt lot in the middle of Tijuana, and there was dozens and dozens of workers, and they were setting up tents, and setting up nice little neat rows of chairs and the worship team and the sound people were setting up these massive speakers and the drums and guitars and bass and all the other instruments and microphones. The ladies were sorting out clothes and some of the people were cooking on multiple barbecues that were going and we were in for a great day. But out of nowhere, these storm clouds came over and it started to sprinkle and then it started to rain and then there was a downpour. And so everybody started huddling underneath the tents and the SUVs were lifting their tailgates and everybody was huddled. Nobody had umbrellas. And this went on for forever, it seemed like. And finally, the leader, my friend Diane, he gathered everybody under one big tent. And I'm thinking what he's going to do is say, guys, unfortunately, it's a bummer. The rain is here. There's nothing we can do about it. So why don't we just organize a tent so we can at least pass out the clothes and pass out the meals? That's what I thought he was going to say. That's not what he said. He stood up dripping wet in the rain on a chair and said, I'm not going to quit. God called us to this event and we're going to do this event. Believe with me. And he stretched out his hand and we all did. And we rebuked the storm in Jesus' name. It was so funny because some of the ladies took apart the drum set and each had a a tom or a snare and they were walking around like they were walking around the walls of Jericho and declaring the rain to be gone. Now, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. Within 15 minutes, the the sky was clear, the rain was gone, and the ground had already begun to dry up. And that day, we saw over a thousand people get saved and healed that morning. It wasn't just about the clothes and, and the food. So praise God for a mighty miracle, but it took the faith of somebody to believe what God had said would be done. And last week, we began a new series called Mountain Movers. And I want to talk about the kingdom of God, but not just defining what the kingdom of God is, but what our part in the kingdom of God is. Our dominion, our authority, this delicate balance we have between faith and grace and how we release God's kingdom in this world. Last week was more so on the keys of the kingdom and defining that God's kingdom is the king's domain. Kingdom, king's domain. 
and that we all have a part to have the keys of the kingdom, God has entrusted us, his children, with authority and access of his kingdom and to be the carriers and ambassadors of Christ to release his kingdom into this world. And today, specifically, we're going to focus on how do we release the kingdom of God in the world around us? How do we become participants of the kingdom of God? My friend Diane, that day, that's exactly what he did. He said, I'm a child of God. I believe God told us to do this event, so I'm releasing the realities of heaven into the reality of this situation. If Jesus could speak to a storm and calm it, we as his children can speak to this storm and say, be gone, because the Lord has a work to be done here today. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that's your first reference in your bulletin, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We're not to chase on blessings. We're not supposed to focus on our needs nonstop and and all about us. Aside from the presence of God and being his child, we are at highest priority to focus and seek the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to us. Now, the issue is that there are so many believers who have been given authority, who have been told you can trample on snakes and scorpions, and that you have authority to heal the sick and raise the dead, and and we've been given the keys and access to the kingdom of God, but we live in a way as as if we don't. We live in a way as, as if, you know, no different than the rest of the world, no different than an unbeliever who is battling the same issues in life but seem to have no help. There's many denominations that are split between this issue. Some that believe cessation that When the apostles died in the first century, that signs, wonders, and miracles also died away with them. And there's many denominations that believe that today. But we are a four-square Pentecostal church that believes that the power of God is alive and well today, and if anything, more needed today than there ever was before. We are a church that believes in, in the power of God, the love of God. We believe in miracles for today. We believe that a demonstration of God's love and power can turn the hardest hearts back to the kingdom of God if we will so partner with him. In John 14, 12, Jesus says a, a very challenging statement. He goes, you can do the works that I have done and even greater. <laughs> Jesus raised the dead. Now, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not to the greater yet, but if anything, I want to at least do the works that Jesus is doing. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Anything that Jesus did on earth in subjection to, you know, the fleshly nature and, and under the influence of the Father, everything that Jesus did is exactly what you and I need to do and is perfect theology. And to go after not only the works of God, but that we can do even above and beyond because the Holy Spirit has been given to us when Jesus ascended. My, my hope and my prayer as a pastor in a Pentecostal church in the middle here of Texas is not just to be an organization that helps people get to heaven. If that's all we can do, praise God. You can have the worst life you've ever had, and you can make it to heaven, and it doesn't even matter because eternity completely eclipses our life here. It is but for a moment. But my job is not just to get people into heaven. My job is to help get heaven into people. And I want to see the realities of the kingdom of heaven become realities in the kingdom of this world. And our job, our privilege, what we are so delighted to be a part of is to expand, expand God's kingdom all across this world. We have been given a highest priority of seeking his kingdom and watching God do what only he can do. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus is going to speak very sternly on the issue of what I've been mentioning here that We have been given access to the kingdom of God, but some of us may act as if we don't. We cannot be divided. 
We cannot dabble into the world, and we spoke about this all this morning, to be watchful of our eyes and what we're taking in in our hearts. We can't have a friendship with the world and claim to be fully on board with God. And Jesus says something powerful in this. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 22 to 29. And as always, reading out of the New American Standard, says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So it's very interesting. Jesus steps on the scene. Here's a guy who's manifesting, possessed by the devil, and Jesus speaks a word. Isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't pray for demons to go. He didn't pray for the sick to get well. He commanded it. He walked in authority, and he commanded that devil to be gone, and that expression of the kingdom awoke in everybody's hearts. They said, whoa, is this the son of David? But the Pharisees, the religious, the legalistic, the intellectual wanted to shut down the encounter. And we got to be careful of that because Jesus was releasing the kingdom and these people wanted to shut it down because they couldn't control it. You don't see very many churches that have microphones because they can't control it. But we want a freedom of the spirit in this place. Verse 24, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, the bells above, the ruler of demons, and in verse 25, and knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and check this out in verse 28, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So when Jesus exercise his authority and release the kingdom of God into the situation where the devils had to go, the kingdom of God was released. And Jesus has given us an example here. And finally, verse 29, or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds a strong man and then he can plunder the house? And then he can plunder the house. See, we can't be divided. We can't be divided in our faith, whether we're going to dabble with the world and give our all to the kingdom of God. We can't dabble in our marriage. I can't say, honey, I love you so much, but I also love this other woman, and uh, it's not going to fly, and I'll probably die. I'll just tell you that much. <laughs> we can't be divided in the kingdom of God. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 4 says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? And even more so, in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, again, that's 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, when we slow it down, or should I say, el libro de primero Juan, capítulo 3, versículo 13. I'm working on my Spanish, people. But in 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, it says, do not be surprised if the world hates you. Oof, do we live in the most offended culture on planet Earth. I remember one preacher who's, uh, he's well-known, he travels the world, and he accidentally butt-dialed a Facebook post. He sat down, and I think the letter, like, Q, went on his post, and he had floods of comments of people who were offended. He's like, I just accidentally butt-dialed and made a post that means absolutely nothing, and people were still offended. We live in the most offended culture on planet Earth ever. But let me just say, we are not called to make everybody happy. You and I are called to expand the kingdom of God in this place. 
And we are to express God's love first and foremost, but also his power. And it's not our job to have a fear of man and to worry about what everybody thinks about us or how well liked we are. You know, they say that um, everybody liked the prophets after they died. They didn't like them when they were alive. They're offended, right? It's not my job to, to have everybody like me or, or to be concerned about what they think about me. It's my job to be concerned about what God thinks about me and to make sure that his love and his power is being released onto them. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, and, and I love this so much because of what we were saying earlier about this violence and the, the UFC. And, you know, I'm one of those people, I like the action. I, I like the war stories. I, I love all that. It's just probably just me growing up as a boy who was all boy. But in Matthew eleven twelve, it says that the kingdom of God suffers violence. The kingdom of God suffers violence. And I'm, I'm thinking, whoa, yeah, that, that riles me up. That gets me excited. But Pastor Rudy, aren't we supposed to be meek and mild, gentle little lambs, Christians, who are simply humble in all of our ways? Absolutely. We're supposed to be an extension of God's love. But here it says that the kingdom of God suffers violence. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What does he mean by that? And this is what I believe he means by that. Faith is violent. Faith is violent. The Christian carries the love of God. Faith in itself is violent. When Jesus cast out a demon and he says, the kingdom of God has come near you, that is the kingdom of God violently attacking the kingdom of darkness. See, faith is violent because it attacks oppression. It attacks sickness. It, it attacks the things that are not of heaven violently because it is God's power against a power that was made and rendered powerless. So the, the kingdom of God is violent. And we are part of this kingdom in which not only do we give God's love away, but we are ambassadors and we are instruments of God in Jesus Christ to administer his kingdom into the world and to the people around us. So I believe with this perspective, there are some things that we need to be aware of and some things we need to change. And so in your notes there in your bulletin, I got two bits of uh, more in challenge this morning than encouragements. But number one, the church has to change. The church has to change. Everybody just got scared. <laughs> I'm not changing the way we do church. I'm not changing our Sunday mornings. I'm, I'm prophesying and casting vision over what's happening in our world. Let me preface it by saying this. Church used to be so easy back in the day. I'm not saying it's difficult now, but it was very, very favorably easy back in the day. Y'all remember when the Jesus people movement happened and you could just drive by, pick up a hitchhiker and they would give them their lives to the Lord, no problem. Or what about in the 70s when we see the Earl Roberts and all these big evangelists that came up in this, this favor and anointing of the healing movement just birthed out of nowhere. I mean, stadiums were being filled of people getting healed, and there were freaky miracles that were happening, and it just seemed so effortless. And then these pastors began the, the seeker-sensitive movement, and these mega churches were booming, and, you know, the whole families were getting ministered to, and churches were now seeing churches of 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people. And it's like, how do you do that? They're just coming out of nowhere. And then people like Billy Graham. I was very privileged as a little boy to hear Billy Graham preach live. It was in Qualcomm Stadium where the San Diego Chargers used to play. And I was a little boy. My mom drove me there because I didn't want to go and hear an old preacher man. And she made me go. And I sat up in the stands and we had, you know, big concerts with big name Christian artists and all that stuff. And Billy Graham walks up and this, you know, old feeble man, he has the longest preacher's index finger in the world. And he spoke for about 10 minutes. That was about it. 10 minutes. 
I don't remember what he said. It all sounded like mumble to me, you know, and he said, then he said, and if you want Jesus, come. I'm not kidding you. 5,000 people out of nowhere came down to give their hearts to the Lord. And I looked around as a little kid. I'm like, he didn't even say anything. And look what happened. I'm like, Billy Graham could have said his A, B, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. If you want Jesus, come down to me. And boom, <laughs> thousands of people would have come. It seemed so effortless. And I'm, I'm thankful for those moments in our church history, but today it's different. Today we're fighting with so much entertainment. We're fighting with the fence. We're fighting with political correctness. We're fighting with so many things. And today it seems to be more of a struggle. And, and what I believe is happening is that God is shaking the church to say, get rid of the fluff, get rid of the entertainment, get rid of the charismatic figures, and go back to the heart of it. I believe we're, we're in preparation for a post-COVID church that has to look different. And, and most people are thinking that different is going to be digital, and, and different, different is going to be in a, a different way that we program church. Now, I'm all for Zoom and so grateful for those who are homebound, those who can't make it to church, those who are on vacation can still join and see all and be a part of all that God is doing here. But personally, I don't believe that the next big movement of God is going to be digital. What I believe is that God is going to bring us back down to the heart of discipleship and display. Discipleship and display, where we stop caring about how many people are filling our pews and we start caring about the people. We start discipling them and showing them and, and equipping them into the truth of who they are and what they can do with God and in the kingdom. And to display that it's not just one person, but that we are all going to take a, a, a effort and a responsibility to expand God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm not, I'm not a, a, all for the digital. I appreciate it. I think it's so necessary. We need our Facebook to declare what God is doing in this church, our Instagram. We need our YouTube to shine and let people see all that God is doing here and let people come to our church. That's powerful. It's a great tool. If Amy Sidlam McPherson was here today, she'd be on Facebook. If Jesus Christ was here today, he'd be on Facebook and he'd be on YouTube and he'd probably have more followers than anybody else on YouTube. It's a great tool that we need to use, but I am declaring and praying not for a new formula. I want the fire of God back in the church. If you catch flame for God, people will come watch you burn. If there is a real and, and transparent and transformative move of God in the house of God, people are going to come running because people are tired of the fake. People are tired of the fluff. People are tired of getting a thousand different opinions on one thing. They want to be in a place that is undeniable. And that's why the manifest presence of God is so powerful, because we're not just looking for tactics. We're not just looking for, for people to, to do something that gets our emotions going. No, we're looking for the manifest presence of God and that what he is doing is undeniable to all of us. And there I go, getting excited and talking all fast again. So let me slow it down. <laughs> Point number two, we're, we're almost done here. Point number two, not only does a church have to change, but the Christian has to engage. The Christian has to engage. One of the things that absolutely wrecks my heart is to see another pastor, especially a Pentecostal pastor, that falls into sin and fails and is removed from his church. You know, there's Hillsong, New York. Recently, the, the mega church pastor there uh, was an adulterer and cheated on his wife and then there's Mark Driscoll up in uh, Seattle area who made the church finances buy thousands of copies of his books so it would shoot up to the New York bestseller. He got laid off. There's Bill Hybels and the allegations in Willow Creek in Chicago, and he got, you know, tossed out. And what's sad is that a lot of the times when the main pastor, the founding pastor, is removed, 
that church falls apart. Many of these churches are gone now after their pastor is gone. And that shouldn't be because the church is not about a charismatic pastor and all that. No, the church is about the people. And there's this old saying that says, every member a minister. Every member a minister. That means I'm your pastor and I will do all that I can to bless you and to train you up and to teach you and and to lay hands on you and to equip you and and to impart upon you. But part of my job, Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip the body, the saints of the church for the work of the ministry. It's my job to help us all be, we don't just have ordained and licensed ministers in this room. Every one of us is a administer of the gospel and of the kingdom of God. Matthew 14, 16, I love this story so much. Jesus is uh, multiplying lunch, which, come on, Jesus, the first buffet is right there in the gospels. And he's multiplying lunch. And he has a statement in verse 16 where he looks at his disciples because the disciples, they're good-hearted Christians. And they say, Uh, These people have been here for hours. Listen, you're a long-winded preacher, Jesus. They've been here for hours. And if we send them away, they could faint. You know, we got to give them some food. And I love Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. You do it. And he did that many times. When he calmed the storm, he said, why didn't you do this? So he tells them, why don't you do it? He gave them a command. Like, why haven't you stepped up in your faith to do what I could do? I've given you authority to do the same thing. You know, a side note, Jesus used, because disciples couldn't, he used one little boy sack lunch. And I had a, a friend of mine who was a preacher, and he said that he believes that that little boy was a chubby little boy. Because if he knew, mama's taking me to the hillside to go listen to this preacher man for hours and hours and probably days, I got to bring some snacks. <laughs> but God used that little boy's lunch to do a miracle and to teach his disciples as well, you give them something to eat. Every member a minister. Now, our battle is not what many of us would say, us versus them. We have to refrain from this terminology, it's us, the good Christians, versus them, the evil world. The battle is for all of us. You know, back in San Diego, I've made one thing for certain is that it would never be an us and them. It's we can go after God together. I specifically could read graffiti in my hometown. I knew who the tagger was. I knew what VHB stood for. I knew what rival gang tagged that and crosses out. I could read graffiti because I never wanted to be in a place where it was me against them. We got to get past this. It's Republican and Democrat, us versus them, and all this political correctness. You know, in Ephesians 6, 12, it says that our battle is not flesh and blood, but against the principalities of the evil and dark kingdoms. And that's what we are battling against. We have a job to do, and it's not to fight against each other, It's that we need to bond together so that we can express God's kingdom. You know, the problem is not Christians doing bad. As many times as we see a pastor fail, 80% of this country claims to be Christian. So what if it's not that Christians are, are not doing things wrong, but it's that we're not stepping up to do the right things? We're being silent. And because we're being silent, we're allowing the ones with evilness in the heart to speak and to bark the loudest. We have a job to do, every member a minister. And I know personally for myself, I'm convicted of this. I'm challenged by this because I will see the king one day. One of the greatest joys that I have in my life is when I can lay my head on my pillow at nighttime with a clean conscience and knowing, God, I've done everything I I know to do to love you and to love others. I, I put my head down knowing that I haven't chased other things, but I've chased you today. At the end of my life, I'm not going to face people 
when I enter into heaven. I'm going to face Jesus, who said, what did you do with my people? And well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to face him one day. And so I am convinced in my heart that when it comes to the kingdom of God, I want to, in every aspect of my life, express his love and express his power. Because one day I will face Jesus and said, Jesus, I did all, I did everything that I could to bless people with your love and with your power. We owe the world an encounter with God. And Andrew, if you're prepared, we're going to close our time today in, in a wonderful song. But I wanted to share this last testimony and then we'll sing and pray. I was doing a, a healing night one night with over 500 people. We saw over 100 documented healings, Parkinson's heal, people coming out of wheelchairs, blind eyes seeing. It was ridiculous of a night. But at the very end, I was praying for a few people. I felt like there were some back issues in the room because some people had one leg shorter than the other. And so about three people came forward and there was this little ledge on the side of the sanctuary and two ladies and, and a guy, so lady, guy, and lady, and they, they stayed out there. I said, put your booties back and sit up straight. And I put their heels in my hand and we saw God grow out a half an inch, one inch, and that their legs were completely level. No sounds crazy, but miracles happen today. And so we saw God touch their, their, their legs and, and the pain starting to subside in their back. And we went on with the rest of our night. But the guy who was in the middle, I didn't know, was a pastor who had been in the ministry for 30 years. He had traveled over four hours to come to our church because he heard about what God was doing. He heard that there was a healing night and I just want to come be a part of something real, something tangible. He came up to me afterwards with tears. I mean, tears streaming down his face. I said, hey, man, I know you got touched by God, but it wasn't huge. <laughs> you don't understand. And he rolls up his sleeves and he had all these scars of track marks from years and years of heroin use. And he said, I felt like my leg literally telescopically grew out. I've never felt God so tangibly. All I did was hear God. I, I feel like you're healing this area. Laid hands on, said just a few quick words. But because God was able to touch that person, the kingdom of God invaded the kingdom of darkness and in his reality, in his circumstance, in his, in his world. And the outcome was not just the healing. That's great. The outcome was somebody had an encounter with the love of the Father from the kingdom of heaven. Family, you and I get to do the same thing. Every single day, you and I are carriers of the kingdom of God and of his presence. When you are driving by the, the freeway, the highway, the roads, you see a little sign that says yard sale with an arrow. You never go up to that sign and like, wow, what an awesome yard sale. That sign points to the actual sale. Signs, wonders, miracle, people are the instruments that God uses into his heart, to his love, and to his power. It's my prayer for us today that we become responsible for that privilege, that we become awakened to how God can use us. So Father, we glorify you here this morning and thank you for being such a loving and a good, gracious Father to your children. Thank you for all that's taken place this morning in church. We ask that this manifest presence, the spirit of love will continue throughout our week. Those who are at home, those who are here, those who couldn't make it here this morning, may your blessing, may your protection, may your love be upon us, not only for our benefits, but that it overflows and spills out to the people and to the places around us. Let us be carriers of your presence. Let us demonstrate your dominion. Let us give away all that you have given to us. Freely we have received, freely we give in the name of Jesus. We love you this morning, God. 
Thank you for this awesome group of people. Go before us as we, as we eat, as we fellowship, as we head back to work and school. Let your presence go before us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you, family. Have a wonderful week.